And whilst we get things ready here, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 7. <clears throat> and we're going to be reading from verse 24. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. <clears throat> it's been wonderful to turn to God's word this morning in the light of what was shared during worship and the words that we sung. Because this morning, we are going to look at a remarkable woman. She has got no inkling of what it is to be a Jew or to be amongst God's people. She's an outsider. And yet, despite where she comes from, she gets one of the greatest commendations in the Gospels Jesus ever gave. This woman is a mom. She's like fellow moms in the room. She's a woman. She's an average human being. She hardly knows Christ. Yet she gets one of the greatest commendations by Jesus. Jesus says to this woman in Matthew chapter 15, Great, oh woman, great is your faith. And we're going to look this morning at uh, what it means to have faith that is great according to Christ, not according to culture. And we're going to read together from Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Ah, thank you. My voice is still on leave this morning. (laughs) Hmm. Let's read from verse 24. And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter, her little girl, had an unclean spirit, heard of him. She heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way, The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. We come into a space where Jesus is desperate to get out of Israel. He leaves the boundaries of Israel because he cannot get any alone time with his disciples. And part of his role in being here on earth was to teach them because he was going to hand over uh, the next work to the church and they were going to become key leaders in the church under the leadership of the Spirit. He was going to direct them from heaven, but he only had a certain amount of time on earth to train them. He needed to feed them. He needed to feed his children who he was responsible for. And he's also getting out of Israel because things are heating up. He's a, he is a wanted man. As early as Mark chapter 3 verse 6, the Pharisees and the Herodians, the politicians of the day, wanted to kill him. 
And uh, he knows he's not ready for the cross. We're going to see next week our friend Arno from Everyday People in the City, a fellow advanced church, is going to preach on the, uh, this wonderful text, Matthew chapter 8, helping us move towards the moment where Jesus reveals himself as the Christ to his disciples. But he's not ready to die yet. And so he, he leaves uh, the intrigues of Israel for the safety of Sidon and Tyre. And they're coastal towns in Phoenicia. This woman's called a Canaanite in Matthew chapter 15, the account that's there by uh, the Apostle Matthew. And yet, despite all of Jesus' efforts <laughs> to hide away and to get alone, he can't. Because this woman comes and literally pesters him to the point of getting what she wants from him. And Jesus says to this woman, great is your faith. So let's see what we can learn this morning about faith from the Syrophoenician woman. And uh, it comes through in verse 25. My first point is, I, I hope that you realize this, because this is how life so often works, is that faith is often born out of crisis. Faith is often born out of crisis. Do you see what's happening to this lady? But immediately a woman whose little daughter, I mean, as a dad, I just want to say, imagine it was your niece or your little sister or your granddaughter. This little girl, she can't be more than a few years old. She's suffering. And it's the kind of suffering that no medicine can relieve. It's the kind of suffering that the local religious leaders of this woman, which would have been uh, Canaanite religion, Baal, and all of these others that you read about in Old Testament, they could not deliver this little girl. And this lady, she, this mom, is desperate. She is desperate. Can you see the lengths to which she goes? It's embarrassing. First of all, she's so desperate, she hunts out Jesus who's hiding. I mean, she's never met this man. There's no social media, there's no Twitter to say, Jesus has arrived at my house. Like, selfie shot with Jesus, see me on Facebook, you can find him here. Or Auntie Elsie or Auntie Ethel got him down the road at her house for tea. There's no ways except through word of mouth. And this woman is so desperate for the deliverance of her daughter. She is asking, oh, she hears about this Jesus, and she's trying to find, she hunts him down. Not only that, she's a woman. She goes alone, and friends, Jewish men were not partial to talking to Gentile women. In actual fact, the Jewish nation wouldn't even eat with a Gentile, and here is this woman, and she hunts him out. And she goes alone. No family member, no friend. She goes alone. And you know what she does when she gets there? In Matthew's account, it's a bit more emotive. Matthew gives us a bit more insight than Mark does, because Mark's in a bit more of a hurry. But Matthew says this. She starts crying out to Jesus. Now I want you to, this is out in the public, and she's going, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And she goes on. And on, and she is making a spectacle of herself to the point of the disciples beg Jesus to say, please, will you send this woman away? Oh, by the way, our live stream dropped. I had to say this. So that's why I had to start everything. So very apologize to those online and those who lost the words. There we go, Mark. Tick. Let's get back to the story. The point of this is she is begging Jesus, but she's making a spectacle. And the disciples are begging Jesus to say, get rid of her. She is an embarrassment. She's causing such a scene. And then 
On top of that, she falls down at his feet and begs him. When she sees Jesus' attention on her, there's a point when he turns around in Matthew 15, she falls down and on her feet she begs him. I want to ask you, when last have you needed Jesus that much? This is what a crisis is, friends. And this is the kind of soil in which faith is born. And I want to point out to you this morning, it's only when we are truly desperate that we are willing to put our pride in our pocket. Not so. And I want to remind you this morning, I don't know and I don't always like it, but the way God works in the human heart is through pain. The way God gets our attention in this world is through pain. And this lady's plight was incredibly painful. I, I cannot imagine my little girl Sarah being oppressed by a demon to the point of being bedridden. You'll hear at the end, she was in her right mind, but she was in bed. She was incapacitated by this demonic presence in her life. And you might be asking, well, that's a bit weird. I don't see much of that in my lifetime today. Well, I want to remind you that the way that the demonic tends to work is primarily through culture that embraces the occult. So when you get a secular culture where there's no real faith or religion, the spiritual side of life is suppressed, there's no dabbling in the spiritual world, and there seems to be a connection between dabbling in the occult and an openness for the manifestation of demonic activity in a human life. And this Canaanite religion, it was the epitome of spiritism, of animism, which is seeing spirits in, in rocks and trees and worshipping of idols in weird occultic ways. And there is a correlation between the human life and the acti activity of the demonic when that sort of religion or worship or spiritual engaging is happening. Ancestral worship, all of these things tend to open doors for the demonic in a strange way to be at work in the human being. But friends, I want to point out to you this morning, if this crisis had not happened to her daughter, this woman would never have come to Jesus. Never. She would have laughed or thought it was a nice Thing that this Jesus rocked up in town, she would never have gone to seek him. She would never have gone to plead with him. And she would never have even bothered to have any interest in the unique ministry of this man who saves. And I want to say to you this morning, friends, crisis is the way God gets our attention. And if you are in a crisis this morning, I want to say to you, don't waste it because God is trying to get your attention. Some of you are praying for family members and friends to come to know Christ and it's getting worse. It's getting worse. They seem further from Christ than when they were last year or there's some difficulty that's arising in their life, or God is not seeming to come through in a practical measure which they're needing. I want to encourage you this morning, the way faith is birthed so often, and it's true in your life, and it's true in the world, is through this crisis. And I, I, want, to, I want to point out a little something here before moving on to my next point. 
is the experience of this little girl and her mom is a snapshot of what human life is like outside of Jesus. You might be asking yourself this morning, I don't really see demonic possession happening in my family or in, in, the, in the society around me. I don't really see this bondage that this little girl is in. But friends, I want to point out to you today, outside of Jesus, please hear me this morning, outside of the saving work of Jesus Christ in the human heart, that human being is in bondage. It is called the kingdom of darkness. It is a fact. It is reality. There is such a thing as the devil. There is such a thing as the demonic. We don't like to talk about it. You will notice one of the great problems atheists have is discussing the problem of evil. Secular viewpoints of, world, of the world cannot explain this demonic activity in the world, yet it is there. The evilness and wickedness of the human heart being unchecked and being encouraged by a demonic force, it's there in the world. And friends, if we live our lives thinking the devil is a joke and the demonic is a farce, I want to say to you, we're going to be in deeper trouble than we've ever been before. There is such a thing as the kingdom of darkness. And although not every human being experiences the physical oppression of the demonic, it can happen. Let me tell you where he is at work outside of Christ is in the mind. It says the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, has blinded the unbeliever so that they cannot see Jesus as the Lord and Savior, so they cannot believe the gospel. And friends, we must think spiritually about this, this snapshot of this daughter and this mother. She had tried everything. She had tried everything humanly possible to deliver her daughter from the clutches of this demonic power, and she couldn't do it. And the same is true for the human race today. Friends, we are under the power outside of Christ of sin, of the flesh, and of the devil. And friends, because of that, Paul says, if we try and deliver ourselves outside of the, outside of the, 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 the single salvation offered in Christ, we're stuck. We're in bondage like this mom in the school. We can't get out. Paul himself is living proof of this. Romans chapter 7 is very clear. He says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. This man wanted to please God. He wanted to get a righteousness outside of believing in Jesus by keeping God's holy law, by trying to be a good person, a righteous person. He was doing everything in his power to try and get his body and his mind and his heart to please Christ, to please this God of the Bible. But he says, I did not have the ability to carry it out. For, the, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am. That is the experience of humanity outside of Christ, friends. It is a wretchedness when God begins to show you the problems of your life and you have no solution outside of Christ. It is a wretched way to live. It is a place of bondage and it gets narrower and colder as death begins to get closer. What's on the other side? The calamities of life hit and there's no answer. The world has no answer. Human religion has no answer. Science has no answer. There's a space of desperate needs. And Paul says he found it in one man, in one Savior. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. His salvation, his rescue, his deliverance, his new start, his assurance of a hope in a future and glory didn't come through human wisdom or human effort. It came through the glory of the resurrected Jesus Christ. 
Now I'm being bold this morning because friends, we must think spiritually about this world. I want to appeal to the Christian this morning. Don't envy what the unbeliever has. Don't envy his or her wealth, their power or prestige. If they don't have Christ, friends, they are far from God and the eternity facing them is too awful to explain. The thing that we must train our eyes on is do they have Jesus? And the thing that you must train your eye on is if you have Jesus. Because friends, in Him, Scripture tells us all the riches of the glory of God is found. We must be careful, church. The heart, like Joey preached last week, gets gripped by the wrong things. I ask you, what's gripping your life? What do you rejoice over in your life? What are the things that you say, this is priceless. This is something worth saying to God. I'm so grateful for. Friends, He, he promises you money if you seek first the kingdom. He promises you the house and the home and the, 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 the shelter and the clothing. He guarantees to keep the body alive that you might live for Him. Don't make those things the thing that you run after. Because outside of Christ, they don't last. And outside of Christ, they mean nothing. Now I say to you this morning as well, Just as this little girl, you know, I opened up this scripture to prepare this week and my heart broke for this little girl. She's probably three or four, desperate. And her mommy is trying to make a plan. Friends, that same compassion is what is in the heart of God for the world. He sees. He understands. He knows the wretchedness of what it means to live a life outside of him. And I want to ask you this morning, do you? Is there a compassion in your heart for the one who doesn't know Jesus? And friends, today, I want to ask you, what are you doing with the crisis in your life? It could be many things. Financial health. It could be unanswered prayer. It could be a deep desire which God seems to be withholding from you. What is it this morning? And is it getting your attention? Because friends, the way God uses a crisis is to draw you to Christ. And what Luther said is fear is what drives us to faith. And what Spurgeon says is we are to learn to kiss the waves that cast us upon Christ. And today, I just want to say for those who have come to faith in Jesus, painfully or not, will you bless him? But the crises are not going to be over because that's the way faith grows, we'll see. But the second thing I want to say today is faith is responding to a message. If you want to ask, that's great. I see I want Jesus. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want Him to rescue my life. How do I respond to this Jesus that I might have Him as my Savior? Well, here it is. Uh, uh, verse 2. <laughs> Point 2. Faith is responding to a message. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him. She heard about him and came and fell down at his feet. In the midst of the crisis that she's in. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful? This is how God loves her. In the midst of the crisis, someone tells her about Jesus. And tells her enough to believe. And do you know what it was? In Matthew chapter 15, it was that this man is Lord. There's something unique about Jesus. He's not just a teacher or a man. There is a unique aspect to his, his, his lordship. He is, he is there's something that's more than human. He's divine. 
but he's also the son of David. And that to a Jew was the one who was the anointed, appointed Messiah. He was the guy that God was going to send to come and be the deliverer of the human race. The second Adam, the final Adam. And she knows it's the son of David. She hears about this Jesus who rescues. And through someone telling her about this Jesus, her heart comes alive in faith. Friends, are you close enough to someone's crisis? to share Christ. The trouble with you and me is this, is we don't like being around people who are in crisis because it's a needy space to be. But friends, this morning, what happened to this woman was not difficult. It was, it was quite simple. Somebody shared Jesus. Somebody was close enough to her distress to share Christ. And I want to ask you this morning, are you because you see, the amazing thing about coming to faith in Jesus is it's not difficult. Someone shared that this Jesus was a man who saves. And he wasn't quite like any other man. He was God's anointed. And her being able to hear the message of the good news of Jesus even coming into her town was enough for her by believing for her to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. At that moment, she's saved. And she expresses that faith by a confidence in who Jesus is. My summary of faith this morning is a confidence in who the Son of God is expressed. She shows her faith. What does she do? She starts to seek this Jesus out. She knows this Jesus is her only hope. She's already saved. She already knows that this Jesus is unique and she needs him. She has to go and find him. She has to go and find and ask him for things in her life. But she's born again in that moment of hearing that message and she displays this faith by a certainty of who the Son of God is and what he can do. Faith comes by hearing, friends, not seeing. And the thing that I had to laugh at, and I had to laugh at myself, and although I had to feel uncomfortable for a moment, is this, is don't you think it's fascinating that the Jews got to see Jesus' wonderful miracles, his preaching, his teaching, his works of the flesh. They got to see the glory of the Son of God with power demonstrate that he was the anointed Son of God. Do you think they believed? Here is this woman. She's never seen Jesus before. She's never laid eyes on him. She's never even seen him do a miracle. Yet someone tells her the message of this gospel, of this good news of Jesus, and she believes, and she's born again. And she goes on believing. That's the point I'm getting to. It's not just for anybody here who wants to become a Christian that needs to put their faith in the Son of God as the unique Messiah. It is the way you move forward as a Christian, friends is God wants you to live by faith, not by sight. And that means you live your life according to what He has said, not according to what you see. You go on believing this is a God who rescues. I think it's fascinating. I did. She knows nothing about the Bible. She's never set her foot in church or a synagogue. She doesn't even know what Hebrew is in terms of the language 
She knows virtually nothing. Yet this one thing about Jesus is enough to save her. This one thing of that he's merciful. This one thing that he loves sinners. He's the appointed Messiah to save him. That he's the son of David. He's the Lord. Just this one understanding of this basic gospel is enough for her faith and for her salvation. Friends, today, what are you waiting for? You're saying, well, I'm not really a Christian. I never really set my foot in church. I don't really know my Bible. I don't know if I really like Christians. Well, welcome to the club. But I want to say this, doesn't really matter. The, the thing that matters in your life is, do you know enough about Jesus and will you apply it? And all that you need to know tonight, to be this morning to be saved is this, is that Jesus is God's appointed Savior for you. That's it. And that He is merciful. He's merciful. You might think, well, I don't deserve him. Well, welcome to the club. How can you read Mark's gospel and see worthiness in anybody? Oh, the grace of God. And she had to respond. She had to respond. She called upon Jesus for rescue. But that is how faith works. When faith is alive and being born in a human heart, it must be expressed. And you must say to Jesus today, by your heart, you must do what Romans 10 verse 9 says. If you're going to be born and going to be saved, you must say, oh, I believe that this Jesus is the Lord and I believe in my heart that he's raised from the dead. That's what you do. You believe that basic fact. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's what she did. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that the son of David is the anointed Messiah, vindicated by the resurrection. You'll be saved. Is this, Romans 10 verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you? Oh, man. Because I also want to point out today, it's the most wonderful thing, my third point, is that faith enters the heart of the most unlikely people. Did you ever think that the person who was persecuting the church called Paul, then called Saul, would be the man that would lead the New Testament charge of planting churches? Did you ever think that fishermen would be God's appointed servants to preach the gospel? Do you ever think that this woman, a Gentile, she has got no concept about the kingdom of God or the scriptures. She's a woman. Let me tell you, her geopolitical and geographical location, her birth, her local religion, the constraints of the, of the day on her gender, her ignorance of the God, all of these things put her last in the row for coming to faith in Jesus, and yet she's one of the first. Are you writing off anybody this morning in your family? Let me tell you. Don't do it. Work, somebody you think is the last person who could possibly come to faith. They're often the first. Do you think it's you this morning that you're disqualified? Can I say to you, the more disqualified you feel to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, the more qualified you are. I plead with you this morning. Would you come to Jesus? Excuses aside. And will you experience his salvation? But it doesn't stop there, church. I want to end off today with my fourth point. <clears throat> my fourth and fifth point. And my fourth point is faith is often birthed in difficulty. And it grows through difficulty. Colossians tells us, as we have received Christ... We are to continue to walk with Him. 
you received Christ by faith, you continue walking with Jesus by faith. You received Christ by believing his words. You continue walking in Christ by believing his word. And the way your faith is going to grow is by choosing in a time of trial or testing what you are going to believe. That's the essence of growth in the Christian life. Don't you think it's amazing Andrea shared this morning? That it's in the field of suffering that fruitfulness occurs. And today, God's invitation for you to grow is by you having great faith like the Syrophoenician woman. And her faith is great because of its ability to overcome unbelief. To overcome all of these obstacles to unbelief. Don't you think after all of her effort of embarrassing herself to some degree and pleading with Christ publicly that Jesus would grant her what she wants, he doesn't do it. In actual fact, he gives her an answer that's painful and offensive. He says to her, it's not right that the children's bread be given to the dogs. I mean, that in itself, first of all, it, it's, it's a bat. It's like, you know. And secondly, it's, I, I, you cannot get around it. Jesus uses the word dog. It is offensive. It's offensive. He never did this anywhere else. It was a deliberate and for good reason. But friends, I want to ask you this morning, is your faith like this woman's? Christians in the room this morning, is your faith like this woman? She seeks Jesus out. Look at these obstacles. He's hiding. Do you know what it's like when God hides his face from you? I'm not talking about requests before God in prayer, where you, God, would you please be with us today? Those are all good prayers. I'm asking about a desperate plea before God. Have you ever taken something seriously before God and you're hanging on tenterhooks for his answer? That's the kind of praying I'm talking about. The need is great. The pain is great. The void is great. And you're bringing this need to God like she has. It's a form of crisis of the soul or crisis of circumstance. And have you ever experienced like her the obstacle to faith when God's hiding his face? You feel like you can't get at him. Or that you are repeatedly crying out to him like she did and he's saying nothing. Or that you get faced with initial disappointment. Don't you think it's hard when she heard after all of her pleading with Jesus that he says, you know, let the children be fed first. It's not good that their food gets given to the dogs. It happens. God can answer your prayer where it's painful. It's a disappointment. How many of you have prayed for a raise and got retrenched? How many of you have prayed for healing for somebody and their cancer or their sickness gets worse? How many of you have prayed for a loved one for, to come to find Christ and they seem it's getting worse and worse and worse. How many of you have prayed earnestly, Lord, I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more. And he feels more further from you than ever before. And how many of you had to cope with the offense of his answer sometimes where it is the last thing that you wanted him to do and he still did it? The marriage still goes through divorce. The child's still struggling with mental health. Things just don't seem to go away. The person dies that you were praying for and you pleaded with and you fasted about. There are answers to prayer like Andrea shared that are really sore and really offensive and really hard to accept. You don't like what Jesus has said about the matter and how he's acted. Friends, this is what is facing your faith as a believer. The question is, how are you going to respond? 
Because great faith isn't difficult. It doesn't require a doctorate. She hardly knew anything. She knew who this Jesus was, that he was merciful, and she knew his unique character, and she knew what he said. She believed. She actually turned. She used the words that he said to her. She believed his character, and she believed his promise, his words, his way. And I want to unpack that for a moment very simply this morning. I want to ask you, if you had to be in her situation, how would you respond? Would you show persistent faith? Because ultimately, friends, this lady would not take no for an answer. And I want to just talk about three things under this heading. The first is, until God says a final and confirmed no to you, you have permission to ask as long as it's not wicked. You can ask, you can ask, you can ask, you can ask, and you need to. If you know what you are asking of God is not wicked, and He has not said a no, finally, in other words, you know that you're not sinning against Him, then friends, you must persist. You must persist. This lady could smell the gap in Jesus' answer. It sounded like a no, but it wasn't. When Jesus said to her, it's not right that, that the children's bread gets given to the dogs. She sees, it says, it's not, it says, what does it say? Let the children be fed first. There we go. His answer wasn't direct no, flat out no, final no. It was not yet. I didn't come to minister to you. I've come to minister to my disciples, my children. I've come to feed them. And by the way, right now where I'm at, I've been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. My man that is not you yet, when I'm de dead and resurrected and the Spirit gets poured out and my, and, and my disciples are going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, the Gentile ministry of the gospel will begin. But right now, it's not right that I take away from my disciples by giving to you. And she goes, so it's not a final no. <laughs> That's the first thing. You don't give up. You don't give up. Even if the answer is disappointing or a deflection, if it is not a final no, which you can still test, by the way, you don't give up. You go for it. Why? Because she knows the character of the person she's appealing to. She smells the gap for mercy. She is brilliant. She knows that, and she says in Matthew 15, Have mercy on me, Jesus, son of David. She asks for mercy, and she sees in his answer the gap for God's character to move. It is this. She says to him, Don't you know? Even the dad is merciful enough not to take the leftovers and chuck it in the bin. He gives it to the dogs. Even a father of the household knows how to show mercy to the dogs in the family. <laughs> Can't you give me some mercy right now? Can't you be gracious to me and my daughter? Can't you come through? I know what you like. Your testimony proves it. You are a God who's merciful. And you are a God who's able to even turn around your decided mandate to step out of your mission to come and show me mercy. Can't you do it right now? And let me tell you, Jesus loves it. He loves it. She's being tested. She's being tested. But friends, this is what Jesus wants you to learn. 
is you don't give up until you know you are sinning by asking. Second is this, is do you pray according to his character? Do you pray according to his mercy? That's what, that's what Moses did. His, his, his sister, how far oh, could we do His sister Miriam gets struck by leprosy. Do you know what he does? Mo, Moses prays for mercy. And God says, I'll heal her. Moses prays according to God's glory. Don't you think it's amazing when, when God says to, to Moses, these guys have made an idol already. They really wondered. I'm going to destroy them all and form a new line with you. And Moses said, how can you do that, God? Don't you think you're going to be the laughing stock in Egypt? Because they're going to hear, you could deliver them out of slavery, but you make them die in the wilderness. Your glory is going to get trashed. Your glory is going to get laughed at. Friends, when you start to know God and translate it into praying according to His character, you please God. And I want to ask you this morning, great faith is rooted in the character of the one you're approaching which has some big implications. When you pray, you are not praying according to what you feel or see. You are praying according to who you know God to be. There's a difference. There's a difference. Do you pray like that? One of the marks that you know God experientially is that you pray differently. You pray with a sense of some crisis. Your default is, oh my goodness, how are we going to fix this? Which the lady tried to do, by the way. It didn't work. It goes, okay, guys, in prayer, you're the God of hosts. You're the God of all possibilities. You're powerful. You can move it. I trust you. And Lord, won't you do it? I'm waiting for you to show me what to do by your eternal wisdom. I'm waiting for you to get glory in the situation according to your character. I'm coming, God. Your righteousness, your goodness, your loving kindness. I'm trusting in all these things and I'm praying according to them. Friends, can we start praying like that as a church? Because if we do, I promise you, I promise you, God is pleased by that kind of faith and He loves to answer those kinds of prayers. I don't understand all of the the, the mystery of how God uses prayer, but I can tell you this, He does. But it's the kind of praying, that's not unbelief, it's the kind of praying that persists and goes, I trust and pray according to the person of the God I'm appealing to. So it's persistent. It's praying according to God's character, but the last is we pray according to His words. Do you know that God wants you to reason with Him according to His words? Have you ever prayed like that? I'll tell you a little bit of testimony in my life. I've been challenged to pray for revival for a very long time. I see things going in the opposite direction outside of these walls. But I was reading Hosea 1 over my, my, my leave. I studied Hosea. What a book. But what a book of promises. And friends, when you start to translate this and saying, Lord, but you said, you said in your words, the cupboards are empty, but you are going to provide. That David said, I... I I've, I'm young, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the children begging for bread. There's some crisis at work you don't know how to solve. You say, Lord, in your word, you say, if any man lacks wisdom, I trust you. When you start to come in before him and say, you, you're struggling with some sort of terrible mistake. You know, we make bad mistakes. We can mess up marriages. We can mess up relationships with children. We can even mess up relationships with friends or colleagues. We could get disciplinary hearings. We can do bad things. And friends, we have to even then take God at His word and say, oh, if we confess our sin, He's just and able to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that this amazing word of God becomes the bedrock of our prayer life. I hope that you're asking yourself, do you pray like this? Is this how you see your relationship with God? The reason why we are to know God and His Word is because God wants us to live off them. 
can I nudge us a bit this morning? I have done already the whole way and you've done really well, but can I do this? Can you just take, take stock of how you are praying? Because that prayer is ultimately a manifestation of what you believe. That's all it is. It's theology turned into conversation. And friends, we have to move forward from praying only, thank you that this is the day that you've made. Would you please be with us? We have to grow. We have to learn to live off this Jesus. Are you? Because friends, there is an opportunity, and I don't know how it works, God calls for faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And if your prayer life is seen as a mere routine or ritual or rote, it is never going to experience participating in the kingdom and seeing God move in the way God desires for you. Your life consists more of the email you have to put together at work, the exam your kid is writing, the job that your daughter or son or friend doesn't really like. We've got to grow. And it will come through crisis. It will come through crisis. But you don't have to wait till then. I ask you this morning, does your faith match this woman's? You don't have to be clever to have great faith. It is merely knowledge of Christ applied. Faith is translating what you know about God into trusting Him. Faith is being able to build upon the rock when you decide to believe and act according to what you know God to be like and what He says. You start to build your house upon the rock and the waves can come and the storms can come and the winds can come. But you stand because you are rooted in an understanding and a confidence in something outside of yourself. And friends, you live differently because of it and the world begins to realize it. That's the essence of great faith. And you, you, you heard me say, God, you'll know when God says, no, you will. Trust me, if Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane could ask God three times to take this cup from him, so can you. Eventually, he got his answer. There were the guys to come and arrest him. He knew. He couldn't ask anymore. There was God's answer. He didn't like it. Well, th Paul thorn in the flesh, flesh three times. Three times he prayed. But eventually, it got to the point where Paul knew God wasn't going to take it away. And he accepted grace to stand. It'll be the same for you. What are the prayers that you have dropped because you've lost heart? What are the prayers that you've stopped praying because it's so big and you feel, what's the point of me participating in that aspect of the kingdom? Where are the family members and the friends and the city and the municipalities and the nations, the nations that God wants to move in and wants to dignify your very prayers to be a part of? Friends, we have a short life. Liz Hill, I've been thinking so much about her, a lady of prayer who graced us for a season at SBC and taught us what it was like to have a ministry of intercession, of taking God at His word and leaning into His character. Friends, she's with, in, in heaven right now, but let me tell you, her prayers are still moving powerfully in her absence. And the legacy of Liz is that one day she will get to see on earth what was achieved by her faithfulness in what was unseen to the rest of us. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. 
the Lord is moving, whether we see it or not, and He wants to use you. And I must just say this one thing. You know, the, the thing that hit really hard for me when I opened up this text this week was, where's the father? Where's the dad? Why is it the mother in this text that is having to hold this thing together? Why is it this mom is the one who's having to find out Jesus, make a plan? This little girl, this little baby girl of three years old is suffering and I'm asking myself the question, I'm going to forgive the emotion, but it is something which troubles me because it is a picture of what the world is like today, men. Where are the men? Where are the husbands and the fathers and the brothers in Christ that are leading the charge to take responsibility to get the respect of the women around us because of our faith? And I don't want to be harsh this morning. There are many men in this room that are doing a great job. Well done. But I want to ask you this morning, does your wife respect your faith? Or is she the one who's spiritually single parenting? I want to speak to those online this morning and be very direct. Men, why are you on your bum at home when you should be leading your family in the grace of God? No, 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 no. Don't clap, don't clap, don't clap, don't clap, don't clap. No, no, no. You know what I'm asking this morning? is I need this wake-up call because my kids and my sisters in Christ are watching. And if your wife has to keep prodding you, have you prayed? Have you read your Bible? Have you done these things? If she is the engine for the faith atmosphere at home, men, you are not walking in the grace of God upon your life. And in the end, it is going to not cost your family. Ultimately, it's going to cost you and it's a price too high to pay. But I want to end on this encouragement this morning. You don't have to be a man of great intellect or perfection. You have to be a man that trusts God, that trusts Him, and leads your family into faith. The little bit you know you apply the little bit you know you pray for your children, the little bit you know that this is my call to shepherd my family and to be an example and encouragement to my sisters here in this bigger family. They watch the men of faith in this place rise up the task to lead well. That's what we need. Men, that's what we need. Is a faith that is centered and rooted in the knowledge and trust of God. He'll do it. He'll do it. He's doing it already. But friends, let's not miss the grace of God in the season to grow. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning in reverence of your word, but recognizing that these words spoken are not words to separate. They are words to call us to a closer union with Christ. And Lord, 
have mercy this morning. Lord, I pray that we would see that this faith that this woman produced is not far from us. If she could translate a life of faith within seconds of hearing about Jesus and get your commendation, Lord, what's stopping us now? What's stopping us, Lord? This way of living is not too hard for us. And we're grateful, Lord, your word reminds us that you are ready to meet our requests with mercy. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray, Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would grow in our ability to trust you. To not throw in a towel when things get a bit tough or there's delay. But to root our prayer life and our position in who you are and what you have said. And Lord, I, I pray, have mercy even on my words this morning, where I have been too harsh, be gracious, forgive me. Even for the men listening this morning, I do pray, Lord, that they would see the grace of what it means to lead a life of faith, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts to be faithful. You call for faithful men and faithful women. Not perfect men, not perfect women, but men who are willing to listen and obey. Help us be like that, Lord. We're grateful that you only speak because you grant mercy to change. And I pray for that for us this morning. Might we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. And if there's anybody here, Lord, who has not yet come to faith, I pray, Lord, would you stir their hearts. Oh, God, I pray if there's anyone here who has not yet put their faith in Jesus as their only Lord and Savior, would you do that now? Respond to him. In your precious name, Lord. Amen. Let's stand one more time and sing. Let's give grace and thanks to the Lord.
grateful for this time together. We're grateful for your word. <clears throat> We're grateful for your ways, Lord. And I pray that as we go from here, you would be gracious to us in the way that we see our life, we see our friendships, we see our families, we see our time, we see our money, that every part of our life, God, would grow and it's conforming to who you are, to your will and your ways, God. I pray that your kingdom would grow in our hearts and a desire to see it advanced. I pray we'd see your purpose in every area of our life and the call to participate. And Lord, in this area of prayer, Lord, for those this morning that have laid down prayers because of disappointments or have stopped praying because of your absence or because of an offense, because somewhere in, in, in life, Lord, you have done something which has deeply hurt. I pray for recovery this morning of that voice of faith and that heart, Lord, to say, I believe I'm going to keep asking until you tell me otherwise. I pray, God, make us a people of faith in this day, how we need it. We're grateful that you're willing to do it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. The Lord bless you. If you want to pray or stay behind or talk, please do. But otherwise, enjoy the time outside over a cup of coffee. We'll see you next week.